We're going to open up to Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 17. We sang about the gospel armor in that song, and that's where we are in God's Word this morning. Ephesians 6, going to read together verses 14 through 17, where Paul describes for us the particular pieces of the armor of God. Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 17, hear then God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together and ask His blessing upon it this morning. Father in heaven, we are glad to hear Your Word read. We look forward to hearing Your Word proclaimed. Lord, we do ask now Your blessing upon the preaching of Your Word. We ask, Lord, that You would take these very human and insufficient words that I speak and that you would give them life and power through the working of your Holy Spirit. Yes, Father, we ask that you would bless this endeavor, that it would not be a fruitless exercise, but that it would, that it would cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's the last time I'll call you guys by name, but uh, Ethan and Matthew and Nathaniel and Tyler, this morning you have made profession of faith. This morning you have declared in the presence of God and God's people that you trust in Christ alone for salvation. You have declared to the whole world that by God's grace and because of God's work in your heart, you have left the kingdom of the evil one and, and entered into the kingdom of God. But now the, the four of you must understand something. There are no civilians in the kingdom of God. No, in the kingdom of God, there are only soldiers on the front lines of a spiritual war. And the bad news for the four of you is the bad news for, for all of us who are sitting here this morning and trusting in Christ. In this spiritual war, we have a, a supernatural enemy who employs supernatural forces and who launches intense supernatural offensives against the kingdom of God and its people. All right, that, that's the bad news. We are, we are soldiers in a spiritual war, and in this spiritual war, we have a powerful and ferocious enemy. Here's the good news. In this spiritual war, God supplies us with absolutely everything we need to stand firm against the devil and his schemes. 
Paul begins this last section of Ephesians by calling us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he tells us why we're to be strong in the Lord. It's because there is a devil. And it's because there are powerful, supernatural forces of evil at work in our world, waging war against our souls. That's why we must be strong in the Lord. We saw that last week. In this section, Paul also tells us how we're to be strong in the Lord. And it's by putting on the whole armor of God. That is what we see this week. Paul has already mentioned in verses 11 and 13 the need for us to put on the whole armor of God. As we come now to verse 14, he tells us how to do that exactly by drawing on what would have been a familiar image in his day, the image of a fully clad Roman soldier preparing for battle. I was thinking this week about how Paul wrote this letter of Ephesians from, from prison. And it's very possible uh, that outside of his cell there was a fully clad Roman soldier. And it's very possible that as Paul sat in his cell and as he took up his pen to write this letter to the Ephesians, he was gazing upon that fully clad Roman soldier. And he was working his way through the pieces of that soldier's army, armor, excuse me, in order that he might communicate to us spiritual truth. We don't know, it's very possible. Anyway, the first piece of armor Paul tells us to put on is the belt. It's the belt. The belt was the first piece of equipment that the Roman soldier would put on. He would likely have undergarments that the belt went over. But as far as his equipment went, the belt was the first piece of equipment he would put on. The belt went underneath the breastplate, and the belt uh, really served three purposes. The belt had uh, kind of a leather apron that would hang down almost to his knees that was meant to protect his thighs in battle. The belt also contained a, a sheath for his sword. And the belt also was meant to tie up and cinch any loose pieces of clothing around his waist in order that he would be swift and agile and nimble in battle. And, and I can really appreciate this last purpose. Uh, I, I coach Brooks's fifth and sixth grade basketball team which I'm way in over my head doing, by the way. But anyways, uh, last Friday night or two nights ago, we, we were having practice, and uh, Aaron had just bought me a new pair of Under Armour sweatpants that I was eager to wear to basketball practice. And uh, we got to practice, and we were running through our opening drill, and I was having the boys shuffle faster than that, of course, as you do. We were working on defensive footwork. I was doing the drill with them, and uh, it was all fine except... You know, I could feel that my sweatpants were a little loose-fitting uh, around my waist, and that was sort of hindering me, at least mentally, right, in that moment. And so after the drill, I took a moment to cinch those sweatpants tight. They had 
one of those strings that run around the waist, and I, I cinched them tight, and I tied them tight, and boy, I felt so much better. And simply tying those sweatpants tight, it gave me a sense of freedom of movement, uh, and I was able to, to really get after that defensive footwork with the boys. And the Roman soldier's belt would have had sort of the same liberating effect on him. It would have just cinched up his clothing and, and given him some freedom of movement. Now, the Roman soldier's belt was made of leather. What is the Christian's belt made of? We see it in our text. The Christian's belt is made of truth. Truth is that which is to be tied tightly around the waist of a Christian, allowing him or her to move freely and securely through this hostile world. We ought to remember who the enemy is, uh, the enemy is the devil. Who is the devil? The devil is a liar, Jesus says in John 8, 44. He's the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning. Lying is a weapon that our enemy uses against us to bog us down and to hinder our movement. And therefore, truth is a belt which enables us to, to cut through his lies and move freely and securely through this world in service to Christ. Now Pilate famously asked the question, what is truth? The people of this world might ask that same question, what is truth? But the Christian knows exactly what truth is. John 17, 17 says, God's word is truth. God's word is truth. And you know, I, I think I think I've seen something of the belt of truth in action the past couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I, I, I preached a truth from scripture that had been a blessing to me in the past. It was the truth of God's perfect providence from Ruth chapter one. And we saw how Ruth and Naomi, despite all the the madness and chaos and bad decisions and tragedy of their lives, they arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning and, and everything was right on schedule. And uh, anyways, in the next week or two after I preached that message, I got, I don't know, more, more messages than I've gotten in a while on a sermon. Uh, a number of people who said, Pastor, that, that, that truth blessed me, and that truth strengthened my faith and my resolve at this point in my life, right? And, and I praise God for that. That's great news. And that's the effect, right, that truth has on us. Truth strengthens us, and it fortifies us, and it gives us freedom of movement, kind of like a pair of tightly clinched sweatpants at basketball practice. And so Paul here, he says, he says, put on the belt of truth. Gird your life with truth. Fill your mind with truth. Fill your heart with truth. Fill your speech with truth. Let truth characterize your life. Put on the belt of truth. The second piece of armor Paul calls us to put on is the breastplate the breastplate is the piece of armor that covered the Roman soldier from about the neck to the top of his thighs or just below the waist, and it covered him both front and back. It was the most extensive and important piece of armor because it covered his vital organs, right? The heart, 
the lungs, the liver, the kidneys. The breastplate covered vital organs. The breastplate was made of strips of iron, which were put together in overlapping fashion and, and tied together with a leather-like cord. But, but what is the Christian's breastplate made of? Well, Paul tells us our breastplate is made of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. We see that in the last half of verse 14. Now, what is this righteousness that Paul speaks of here, which serves as our breastplate? Well, first and foremost, it's the righteousness of Christ, which is credited to our account when we put our faith in him. And we actually see this in Zechariah 3. We see this breastplate in action in Zechariah 3. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read it for you. Zechariah 3 Beginning at verse 1, Zechariah writes, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So this story, it's a story of spiritual warfare, isn't it? Zechariah sees Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, with Satan standing at Joshua's right to accuse him. Let's continue. Zechariah 3, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from Joshua. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments, And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with clean garments. Now that whole story is not only a story about spiritual warfare. It's also a story about what happens to us when we put our faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, the filthy garments of our sin are removed and we are covered in the pure vestments of Christ's righteousness, right? This is what happens to each and every one of us when we put our faith in Christ. Our filthy garments of sin are removed. Christ's righteousness is given to us and we are justified in God's sight. But notice what Christ's righteousness is in Zechariah 3. It's a breastplate for Joshua. It's something that shields Joshua against Satan's accusations. And so it is for you and me. The righteousness of Christ credited to our account, it's a a breastplate. It's something that shields us from Satan's accusations. When Satan tempts me to despair, the hymn writer said, and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Christ's righteousness given to us a breastplate. I do think there's another aspect to this breastplate of righteousness. I think it's secondary, but I think it's very much real. Because the fact is, Christ not only provides us with righteousness, Christ also produces in us righteousness. That is, Christ causes us by his word and spirit to live increasingly righteous lives. This is what we call sanctification. 
But, but just remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In those verses, Paul wrote, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And the fact is, the more sin there is in our lives, the more opportunities we afford the devil. The more righteousness there is in our lives, by God's grace, the less opportunities we afford the devil. So Paul, he says, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. First and foremost, that's the righteousness of Christ, credited to your account when you put your faith in him. But it's also the righteousness which Christ produces in our hearts by his word and spirit. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. The third piece of armor is shoes. Shoes, at least that's how our Bible's translated. I guess we could say it's, it's footwear. That's maybe a little bit more uh, appropriate for a soldier. But anyway, for the Roman soldier, footwear was very important. The Roman soldier would often be asked to journey for miles before engaging the enemy in battle. In fact, what's interesting is that the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that one of the things that made the, the armies of Alexander the Great so effective and powerful was their footwear. Josephus says it's because of, because of their footwear and because of the design of their boots, which actually had spikes coming out the bottom, that Alexander's army was able to travel long distances at astonishing speeds and thereby catch the enemies off guard. That's what the historian says. Footwear is important. Paul knows footwear is important. And so Paul says, along with our belt, along with the breastplate, we need shoes. And what are our shoes? Well, we see what our shoes are in verse 15. Our shoes are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And we need to take that all together. Our shoes are not simply the gospel of peace. Our shoes are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now the question is, what is the readiness given by the gospel of peace? Some commentators have seen in this verse an echo of Isaiah 52 verse 7, which says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And they've said, Paul here is telling us that that in the struggle against Satan, we need to be ready to share the gospel. Now, we most certainly do need to be ready to share the gospel, but I would say the connection to Isaiah 52, 7 is probably a bit clunky here. I'm not convinced Paul is drawing a direct line from Isaiah 52, 7 to our text. He might be, but I'm not convinced. My take is that Paul here is telling us we need to be ready for whatever comes our way. And let's be honest, what is it but the gospel of peace that makes us ready for whatever comes our way? I mean, the gospel declares what? That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that truth, right? That truth, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that truth ought to make us ready for whatever comes our way. Because that truth assures us that whatever comes our way, God is for us and not against us. Whatever comes our way, God is using it to work all things together for our good. 
All right, the shoes for our feet are a readiness that comes from a gospel of peace. Let me tell you about someone who wore these shoes, all right? This might help you understand it even better, what I'm getting at. His name was Walter Lewis Wilson. He was a Christian, but one Sunday in the year 1914, he heard a sermon, and he was convicted that he had not offered his body to God as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12.1 called him to do. Mr. Wilson returned home, he fell on the carpet, and in the quiet of the late night hour, he said, my Lord, I have treated you like a servant. When I wanted you, I called for you. But now, I give you my body from my head to my feet. I give you my hands, my limbs, my eyes, my lips, and my brain. You may send this body to Africa, or you may lay it on the bed with cancer. It is your body from now on. Do you see what he displayed there? A willingness to be used by God. A a readiness, I would say, that comes from the gospel of peace. Let me ask, are you wearing these shoes today? Are you today ready to be used by God however he deems fit? Can you say, in all honesty, Lord, send me to Africa or lay me on a bed with cancer? Whatever will be used for your glory. Can you say that? I thought I could say that until God asked me to do something once I didn't want to do. (laughs) Then the enemy got a hold of me, and the enemy wreaked havoc on my soul. And truth be told, the enemy would have destroyed me in that moment if it weren't for God. You've got to wear these shoes if you're going to follow Jesus. You've got to have in your soul a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You've got to recognize and you've got to accept and you've got to say with Robert Murray McChain, Lord, if I'm not willing to go when and where you call, I cannot rightly call myself your servant. You've got to wear these shoes. The fourth piece of armor is the shield. The Roman soldier was equipped with a shield that measured roughly four and a half feet tall by two and a half feet wide. It was big enough that he could hide behind it if he needed to. These shields, they were made of wood, but uh, they were covered in a leather-like material that would be soaked in water. And the reason this leather-like material was soaked in water is because enemies in those days shot flaming arrows. And if a flaming arrow went straight into a shield of wood, that would be bad news right? That would light your shield on fire. And so they covered it in a leather-like substance soaked in water, and that leather-like substance soaked in water was meant to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. The Apostle Paul here is drawing on that imagery when he says in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Okay, Paul here is saying that our faith in Christ, it's the shield which protects us 
from the devil's attacks. There may be no one who knew how to hide behind the shield of faith better than Martin Luther. Martin Luther gave, uh, gave us this advice in his writings. This is what he said. He said, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it, devil? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I am also. That, that, that right there is the shield of faith in action. When the devil attacks, when the devil shoots at us, those flaming darts of guilt and shame and regret and fear, we're to look to Christ and we're to hide behind Christ, remembering and believing that he suffered on the cross for our sins and that our lives now belong to him who sits at God's right hand. The fifth piece of armor is the helmet. Soldiers always wear a helmet, don't they? The helmet protects the head and the brain. A Roman soldier's helmet was made of bronze and it had, it had cheek pieces to, to protect their face as well. You could probably think of that. You probably have an image of your mind you've, you've seen of those helmets. But what's the Christian's helmet made of? The Christian's helmet is made of salvation. Now, Paul says almost the same thing to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, he tells them to put on for a helmet, not salvation, but the hope of salvation. And that's probably the idea here as well in Ephesians 6. Paul here is really getting at the idea of the, the hope of salvation. And let's just think about it. What, what does a helmet protect? A helmet protects the head, the brain, the mind. What is it that keeps our minds from going to the deepest, darkest places? It's hope. Look at the Psalms, right? We see this in the Psalms time and again. The psalmist is on the verge of despair. He's on the verge of sinking into the deepest and darkest pit. What keeps him time and again from going all the way into the deepest, darkest pit? It's hope. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And then he says at the end, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's how the psalm ends. The hope of salvation is what keeps the psalmist's mind from plunging into the deepest, darkest place imaginable. The hope of salvation is our helmet. Let me ask, are you wearing your helmet today? Your mind will take you places you ought not go. It will if you let it. Your mind will plunge you into the depths of godless, hopeless despair. Do not let it. Put on your helmet. Whatever your situation and circumstances, say with the psalmist, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. The sixth and final piece of armor that Paul sets before us is the sword. The Greek word used here is a word used to describe the, the short-handled sword that a Roman soldier would have used in close combat. 
What is perhaps noteworthy is that of all the pieces of armor, this is the only one that is really offensive in nature. The rest are, are in nature defensive. But the, the sword, the sword helps the soldier fight back and even slay the enemy. And let's notice what our sword is made of. It's made of the word of God. The word of God is the sword with which we fight against the devil. The word of God is that which cuts the devil down and knocks the devil back and causes the devil to, to retreat. And let's notice who the sword is attributed to. It's attributed to the spirit. It's called the sword of the spirit. The point is it's the spirit who makes the sword powerful and effective. It's the spirit who works through the word of God to fend off Satan and to tear down Satan's strongholds in this world. All right, when the word of God is proclaimed from pulpits, when it's taught in Sunday school classes, when it's read around the dinner table, believe it or not, the spirit goes on the offensive against the supernatural forces of evil in the heavenly places. We get kind of bored by these things. But in the heavenly places, as the word is proclaimed, right, the spirit, the spirit is going to war. One of my favorite sayings, really a motto of mine since I've been in ministry, is, is the word of God is able to do the work of God. That is correct. The word is our mighty weapon in the struggle against the powers of darkness. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus wielding the sword, don't we? Matthew 4, Satan comes, tempts Jesus in the wilderness. How is it that Jesus does battle with Satan? Jesus does battle with Satan using the word of God. Three times Satan tempts Jesus. Three times Jesus responds with God's word. And after the third time, Matthew says, then the devil left him. The word of God caused the devil to retreat. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, shortly after uh, Christian's conversion, he is confronted by Apollyon. Apollyon is a name given to the devil in Revelation 9, verse 11. It's a Greek word that means destroyer. Anyways, Christian, he's confronted by Apollyon, and Apollyon attacks Christian fiercely. And even though Christian is dressed in his full armor, Apollyon is a powerful foe. And as Bunyan says, Apollyon threw darts as thick as hail. And even with all the skill he could muster, Christian could not deflect them all. I think many of us know something of that experience. Christian, he's wounded by these darts. And as the battle rages fiercely, Christian, he grows weaker and weaker, and, and he begins to despair for his life. He thinks he's done for. He thinks he's going to go down in defeat in this spiritual struggle. And Apollyon is just about to deliver the death blow. And then God enables Christian to reach out his hand and to take hold of his sword and to give Apollyon a deadly thrust such that he, he spreads his dragon wings and he flies away until, as Bunyan says, Christian saw him no more. That scene is a picture drawn from what Paul writes here at the end of Ephesians. 
But what I really, really, really want you to notice is, is what Bunyan says Christian does after this fight. Apollyon flies away, Christian sees him no more. He rests for a moment. He eats and he drinks and he regains his strength. And then Bunyan says, he headed out to continue his journey with his sword drawn in his hand. Let me ask, are you continuing your journey with your sword drawn in your hand? Does the word of God have such a place in your life? Young men, I said I wouldn't name you again, so I won't, I'll just say young men. You made profession of faith this morning. This does not mark the end of your journey. In many respects, it marks the the beginning of your journey. But as you leave this place today, as you head out into the world to, to serve Christ, do it, do it with your Bible open, okay? Do it with your Bible open. Do it with your sword drawn. Only a fool would go to war without his weapon. Don't be a fool, all right? Don't be a fool. Take it from one who's been a fool. Don't be a fool. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's the armor you and I are to to put on in order that we might take our stand against the schemes of the devil. It consists of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. It consists of the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. And Paul's clear, we're to put on all of the armor, right? You're to put on the whole armor of God. It's only when we put on the whole armor of God, every single piece of the armor of God, that we'll stand firm on the evil day. What I want to notice with you in closing this morning is is, is simply that this is called the armor of God. That means it's God's armor. It's armor that belongs to God, and it's armor that comes from God. What is the most interesting thing about this armor of God is that we actually see God himself wearing it in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11.5 says this about the Messiah, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and truthfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 59.17 says the Lord put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah 49.2, speaking again about the Messiah, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. What is it that comes out of the Messiah's mouth? It's the word of God, likened already in Isaiah to a sharp sword. So in the Old Testament, we see God himself wearing this armor and using this armor In Ephesians 6, then, what God is doing is is simply giving his own armor to us. In Ephesians 6, God is taking off his belt. God is taking off his breastplate. God is handing us his shield and his helmet and his sword. That's what's going on in Ephesians 6. Do you get it, people of God? We have a real powerful spiritual enemy who wages war against our souls and against the church. We do. But we fight him in nothing less than the armor of the living God. 
which has been given to us in Christ. Let that put ice in your spiritual veins. Let that give you courage and fortitude to go toe-to-toe with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let that make you eager, eager to fasten on the belt of truth, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, to lace up those shoes made of the readiness given by the gospel of peace and to take up the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit in service to your king. This is God's own armor given to you in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise that you give us everything we need to stand firm in our struggle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Thank you for the armor you have given us in Christ. Help us, Father, to put it on that we may stand firm. For Jesus' sake, amen.